Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle say 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. The guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. We had an election. Let's check in with our old friend Greg Pallas, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker. Uh, his most recent book and movie, which you can find over at, uh, on Amazon and in other places, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. GregPallas.com is the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallas, just like Tom underscore Hartman. Greg, welcome back. 
Glad to be with you, Tom. Always great having you. Greg, I noticed in the news report they were saying that Mr. O'Connor, the Democrat, lost by, uh, well, it hasn't been called yet but for this reason, that he was behind the Republican by about 1,000 votes, but that there were yes. 8,000 provisional ballots in this one congressional district. And I was yelling at the TV, tell us what that means. <laughs> and of course, nobody said a word. Please, Greg, tell us what it's that means. Okay, it's a combination of 3,435 provisional ballots, or as I call them, placebo ballots. You fill them out, you think you voted, well, hey, maybe not. Um, they are given to people whose names suddenly went poof and disappeared magically from the voter rolls. Except in Ohio, it's not magic. Half a million people were removed by the vicious Republican Secretary of State, John Husted in Ohio in the last two years, half a million people. If, if those people who lived in the district found their names missing, they'd get this provisional ballot. And here's the bad news. If you're wrongly removed from the voter rolls, they still won't count your provisional ballot. So you don't get that counted. Now, whose ballots are they? We know that they are overwhelmingly from Franklin County, from the urban area, which is overwhelmingly Democratic. So the congressional race is being determined by the votes not counted, not by the votes cast. In addition, by the way, to the 3,435 provisional ballots, we have a couple thousand uncounted absentee ballots, same game. And you have, because if you send an absentee ballot and your name's missing from the voter rolls, they just check it. And there's a lot of votes called spoiled, which is, in Ohio, lots of votes simply get cast and never counted, and again, overwhelmingly in the urban, that is Democratic areas uh, around Columbus and Franklin County. So in this uh, election that may end up being called by fewer than 1,000 votes or in the neighborhood of 1,000 votes, you're suggesting that close to 10,000 people, their votes won't get counted. They're, they're from an overwhelmingly Democratic district because of specific intervention uh, in the Ohio uh, uh, voting rolls by the Ohio Secretary of State? Is that is that the bottom line here? That's the bottom line, and there's not much suggestion. The Supreme Court heard the case, and the Supremes voted 5-4 to allow Ohio to remove these people from the voter rolls. Right. And so there's not much speculation. We know that those are Democratic votes in the throwaway pile, in the electoral dumpster, in the provisionals, the uncounted absentees, and the spoiled votes. It's not close. The Democrats won if you would count all the votes. And that's just a cold fact from the analysis of, that was just discussed at the Supreme Court. It was acknowledged. They didn't even, they didn't even disagree with the facts that the uh, voters purged, that the uncounted votes are overwhelmingly in Franklin County, black and urban districts. Remarkable, remarkable. What's going on with Kansas? Ah, <laughs> what's the matter, Kansas? Well, uh, it's too close to call officially between Chris Kobach, uh, our uh, our fave, Mr. Crosscheck himself, Trump's vote thief in chief, Chris Kobach and the sitting Republican governor Collier. It's close because the Trump, uh, the Donald tweeted in favor of Kobach the day before the election. However, the uncounted ballots, which are in excess of 100,000, are all- Whoa, 100,000? Yeah, 100,000. That's how many but people Kobach bounced off the voting rolls? And these are, these are apparently are Republicans. I mean, this is the Republican no, primary, are, they're, right? They're stuck, they're, they're, they're stuck in the voting machines. You know how efficient voting machines are. So right. the technicians from ES&S, the voting machine company, are, try, are trying to tease out those ballots out of the machines. 
in uh, the, the Kansas City suburbs. Now, if they count those votes, if the machines just don't go poof, and remember who's in charge of the machines, the Secretary of State, one Chris Kobach, but if they do count those votes, I don't see how Kobach survives. Geez, 100,000 votes not being counted in Kansas because the ESNS, what, what happened to the machines? I mean, do we have any idea the, why? Well, the, the, the line that, that they're putting out is that the machines, uh, that, they, that the votes are there, but they can't pull the tallies out. And that ESNS, the voting machine company, has his technicians working all night. The question is, who are they working for? But they're working all night to get the votes out. If those votes come out, I think it's going to be hard for Kobach to claim a victory in this uh, gubernatorial primary. But on the again, I want to emphasize, that doesn't mean the end of Chris Kobach. He's still Secretary of State, and he's still Trump's vote fraud hunter. Yeah. Uh, back to Ohio, just real quickly, Greg. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that there were as few provisional ballots as there were. It's, it, I got the sense after the Supreme Court case and how aggressive Ohio has been uh, in recent years of purging the voting rolls that there would probably be a much larger number. What am I missing here? Well, what's missing here is the reason it tends to be small is that there's only a small part of the congressional district in Franklin County. In other words, you ain't getting provisional ballots in those white suburban areas in Delaware County and uh, and the other collar counties around Columbus, uh, Ohio, which is the capital. So it's a very small part of Franklin, and that's really where the provisional ballots are. They're, frankly, they're back-of-the-bus ballots overwhelmingly given to black folk and poor folk, and they're the ones who um, get shafted out of their vote and handed these provisional ballots. So it's basically you have a, a huge suburban white and Republican district. That's actually what makes it quite astounding that it is close enough for them to steal. Yeah, and the Republicans tend not to get their votes purged. So this was basically out of this one. One, one out of the five counties, yeah. Yeah, remarkable. Greg, just a quick last question here. What is being done? We have laws against illegally voting. You can go to jail for anywhere from a year to five years, depending on the state. Similarly, we have laws against shoplifting. You can go to jail for a year to five years, depending on the state, for shoplifting. By and large, people don't shoplift, A, because they're not inclined, and B, because they don't want to go to jail. Uh, for the same reason, people don't vote when they're not legal to vote. I mean, it might be 50 people a year across the country, and most of them are voting by mistake. Felons who didn't realize they, they couldn't vote, things like that. Democrats are starting to buy this. What can we do? Oh, boy. Well, think about this. You have 3,400 people, mainly in Columbus, Ohio, who showed up at the polls to vote in this congressional race. If they were illegal voters, you shouldn't throw away their ballots. You should arrest them. But they're not illegal voters. If they're illegal voters, arrest them. Now, in the old days, if your name was missing from the voter rolls and you swore under penalty of prison on an affidavit that you are a legal voter, your vote would count. That's the old affidavit system, hmm. which was replaced by George Bush with provisional ballots which don't get counted on your affidavit statement. I'm guessing probably some of these folks who are getting provisional ballots too are people who simply showed up without ID. Well, yeah, that's the other thing is that you have ID requirements in Ohio, which is horrendous. By the way, a lot of people who don't have the ID or their names are missing from the voter rolls walk away. They don't bother filling out the provisional ballot. You know, we haven't talked about the big walk away the spoiled ballots, that is the ballots that they say are uncountable, again, mostly in Franklin. We're trying to get that information. They tend to hide that stuff. In England, by the way, the BBC never reports the tally without telling you how many votes were not counted. Hmm. It kind of minimizes the uncount. Investigative journalist, author, and filmmaker, GregPalast.com. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palast. 
I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool. And meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now. And I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do that. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order Using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Mark Pocan, come back to the program. Hey, Tom, thank you very much. I should add your website is pocan.house.gov, and people can tweet you at Rep. Mark Pocan. I see that you just tweeted out about Missouri voters voting down the the so-called right to work, I call it right to work for less. And if Republicans can call it right to work, why don't Democrats call it right to work for less? But anyhow, that was put on the ballot by the Republicans themselves, wasn't it, Congressman? You know, I think there were a lot of election returns that are worth talking about today, especially this one in Missouri, which is not the state I would say that I would go to to have a giant labor victory. They had a two to one victory on not going right to work. And I think the fact that we saw such a strong vote in a place that you wouldn't necessarily expect it. You know, this may very likely be something we look back at, Tom, and say this may have been the line in the sand. In Wisconsin and so many other states, we've watched this erosion of workers' rights, whether it be in Wisconsin, the Act 10 laws that took away collective bargaining rights for public employees. We just saw the Supreme Court case. You look around the country and look at these various, really, attacks on workers and then this happens, and I think hopefully with this, with the political environment we're now experiencing, and really the data they had. You know, if you work for a union with a union job, you're going to make more money and have better benefits than not by significant portion. I think people finally looked at the unions as a self-interest issue, and it trumped to the point of a two-to-one margin. So I thought that was a great result, as were a number of the other election results. Yeah. What are some of those other races that you thought were really consequential and why? Sure, sure. I mean, some of it was even just watching in a pattern 
that's been existing now for a while on these special elections that even though it was a very tight race in a special election in Ohio, what should have been an 11-point Trump district, which should have been something that wasn't even a competitive district, was razor thin. They're still counting absentee ballots, I think about a 17-vote margin. And one of the, the major groups that does polling analysis said that they're seeing on average about a 16-point shift from uh, traditional district performance by party to what we're seeing now is they look at a variety of these races. And, you know, I think what that tells me is as we get closer and closer to November, uh, it's not like it's going back towards the Republicans in any way. In fact, just the opposite. Uh, we're maintaining uh, this where our base is motivated, their base is less motivated, and not even people in the middle, but people who, you know, maybe don't follow politics from one perspective or another are tired of being forced into awkward conversations with their kids about what porn stars are, what s-holes are, what very fine Klansmen and Nazis are, and everything else that Donald Trump says. And I think, you know, the corruption in Washington has finally gotten to a point that we're watching those folks uh, break towards the Democrats. So if we see this kind of uh, work continue um, in Washington state, there are a couple races that were uh, very, very uh, tight, including a couple of significant um, current Republican uh, members of Congress who had races so tight that uh, now they're, they're real races in November, one being Kathy McMorris Rogers, who's uh, in Republican House leadership. Uh, there's a state senator, Lisa Brown, who was running neck and neck with her on election night, great position to win. And then uh, Jamie Herrera Butler, uh, who got 55 percent of the vote in 2016. She barely got 40 percent Tuesday night, and her Democratic opponent, Carolyn Long, was like just points behind. So when you start looking around the country, whether it be a, a labor referendum, um, you know, you look at uh, some of the Michigan results on, on races they had uh, across the, the country. We're seeing the momentum clearly continuing on our side, and that's an extremely positive thing. Yeah, it definitely is. So let's pick up some phone calls for Congressman sure. Pocan. Omar in Herndon, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Thank you so much for taking my call, Tom, and greeting to Mr. Pocan. I just have a quick question, Mr. Pocan. You know, Jared Kushner, I recently read that he gave some sensitive information about prominent Saudis to the current king, which allowed him to kind of have a stronger grip on the country. Is Congress looking into that or the Intelligence Committee looking into investigating that matter? Because he gave a lot of information. Yeah, Omar, I, I can't say specifically at the Intelligence Committee is I don't serve on it. I think they look at lots of different stuff that comes up. However, uh, let's remember this Intelligence Committee, at least on the House side, uh, has made itself Unfortunately, uh, a laughingstock of how it operates. Uh, Devin Nunez uh, has, has so performed in a partisan way that that committee is not the committee it used to be. However, don't forget the Mueller investigation is moving forward, and so much of these issues are touching the Mueller investigation. And we saw, again, really interesting trial going on with Manafort. I don't think you're going to find things like that happening that someone's not looking at. And that's the good thing, because the amount of corruption in Washington has, has hit a level that I have not seen before. And when you look at either the emoluments clause or, you know, things like you just mentioned that happened or a variety of other issues with Donald Trump, uh, I think we're getting closer and closer to having some resolution on that. And again, remember, this is historic. There are at 33, I believe it is, indictments right now with the Mueller investigation. You had four years on Benghazi, zero indictments. You had two years on the Clinton emails, zero indictments. And in just a year and a half, you're at 33 indictments. Clearly, they're moving in the right direction. I think they're going to look at a lot of things. Yeah, it's remarkable. Bill in Richmond, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. 
what I was going to ask about, I was reading the Washington Post this morning, and there was an article or a column, I'm not just a column or a news article, how about Ms. Cortez, that she endorsed or I think even campaigned for some of the five different people in the Democratic primaries. And in every one of them, they all lost by a fairly large margin. I don't think any were close. And my question is, does that show anything particularly that the Democratic Party does not sign on to those? Um, no, I wouldn't take too much out of it. I mean, first of all, I think people, when she won the primary, suddenly put too much into it. Uh, it was a low turnout race, and she's a very good candidate as far as uh, uh, she's smart. Uh, she worked very, very hard in a district. She is very progressive herself. But somehow people try to extrapolate that to a national message when it was 26,000 total votes cast in a congressional district. And I think, you know, she also backed people that won. I think that article was probably trying to paint a different picture. But I can tell you, you know, some of the people that she backed were never very far up in the polls to begin with. So I don't think you can attribute the failure to her at all. Uh, you know, one in Kansas, uh, progressive caucuses with Brent Welder. We had hoped he had won, but she, he also had a very strong candidate in the primary against him, and he narrowly lost that one. But again, I don't think it had much directly to do with Ocasio-Cortez. So I think she's going to be a great member of Congress. She's going to work very hard on behalf of progressive issues. But I wouldn't read too much into, you know, people who she backed winning or losing, because in some cases she backed people who had uh, very low numbers in the polls to begin with. And in some cases, like uh, Brett Welder, it was a very, very tight race. And it sounds like the article didn't mention that. Yeah. And in the case of Michigan, my home state, Gretchen Whitmer won. But her positions, A, she's a politician. She's been in the, I believe it was the state Senate, and she ran on fixing the road. She ran on raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. She ran on debt-free college. She ran on rolling back right to work for less. Her major difference with Al Saeed, the guy that Alexandria campaigned for and Bernie did, was that she wasn't in favor of single-payer statewide in Michigan, and she hasn't ruled out supporting it nationally, and that she wanted to increase regulation of for-profit charter schools rather than abolish them. I mean, she's still extremely progressive by any standard, and she's well-known in Michigan. I don't see this as a loss for progressives. You know, and also uh, in, in Missouri, where, again, one of the candidates that was running against an incumbent, you know, those aren't easy tasks. So I wouldn't put too much into that article. It sounds like that article, that writer had an opinion uh, already they were going to write regardless of what happened. But I can tell you that we are looking forward to having her come to Congress and be a, a member of the Progressive Caucus. And she is a very um, bright, outstanding person. And I think she's going to also be in a lot of races that are going to win quite handedly. Yeah. Amen. Dave in Buffalo, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, Congressman Tom, thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. Mark, a question about minimum wage. I'm going to offer you two platforms. One, 15 to 22 or 15 to 15. 15 to 22 is we're going to raise your minimum wage from 15 to 22 dollars an hour. After all, we have to pull back some of the corporate tax breaks they gave themselves. Or 15 to 15, which is we are going to raise your minimum wage to $15 an hour with little or no mention to 22, which will keep us in $1,500 a month poverty. And after all, we're actually corporate Dems, too. Uh, which platform do you stand behind? And we'll get out and push it for you. Yeah, Dave, I, I, so those aren't bills that are actually out there. So let me offer a more general perspective because you know, I hate to have two scenarios that aren't real to pick from. It's like picking between unicorns and tooth fairy. So in reality, we've been pushing to get a minimum of a $15 minimum wage 
is the absolute floor through a number of bills that kicks in at a certain year. And that's been there's a couple of different proposals out there to do that. But that's something that right now local governments already across the country are doing in many cases. Uh, I think Seattle and other places have moved it up to that. I don't want to get lost so much on what plan is the best, but let's just realize that you can't live on the minimum wage. You're in poverty. A family of four is in poverty at the minimum wage, and people are working two or three jobs without benefits. So let's just make sure everyone is at least at a $15 rate. Let's see what we can do to help people organize and create unions and make that easier, because then you'll get even a better wage. Let's address things like different types of leave that people need right now that don't get sick leave and other cases. You do all of those things and we're going to go to the best place. And those are actually real proposals that are put out there that we can, I think, easily get behind and support and actually actualize should we take a majority. George in Chicago, a real quick question for Congressman Pocan, please. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Congressman, I'm no Frank Luntz, but I think what I'm about to say might have a little potential for Democratic slogans. Trump wants to build a border wall when what we need is an electronic firewall. He wants to establish a space command when what we need is a cyberspace command to protect our democratic institutions from foreign interference and domestic interference. And this comes after your colleagues, Republican colleagues, voted down a $388 million appropriation to help the states defend against electronic election interference. So I would yeah, say, please tell all the Democrats to make this an issue. Thank you, George. Yeah, George, I think it is one of the major planks as we're going into the fall is around the corruption in Washington and the corruption that's been brought by the Trump administration and the Republicans. And uh, it is central to what we're talking about, whether it be the inability to stop interference in our elections to uh, the president and you know his family businesses, uh, to the uh, elections and how he continues to give an inconsistent message on whether or not Russia was involved in the elections, although I think he's the last person in the country uh, who's actually doing that. Uh, we really are making that one of the issues, and that's what's helping us with that kind of swing suburban voter who isn't a Democrat or isn't a Republican, but they don't like the direction of the country. Congressman, just a quick uh, heads up. We had somebody call in repeating a uh, meme from the Daily Caller today that every candidate Ocasio-Cortez endorsed lost their primaries. Um, and uh, Carl Higby also promoting this. is apparently a Republican meme. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just tweeted, GOP can't handle the truth, so they make up their own. It's all right. Denial is the first stage of acceptance. The stars Rashida Tlaib, Tlaib and James Thompson, Kansas, won their races last night. She endorsed both of them. We're getting two new rebellious women in Congress, whether they like it or not. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. In fact, James Thompson was the one I was thinking of. I didn't know about the other one that I know that she campaigned for. Mm -hmm. uh, my good friend John Nichols is a big fan of his uh, race and told me quite a bit about him as well. So, uh, you know, they're using this as an attack. And the other thing, you know, a friend of mine uh, was telling me a couple days ago they were watching Fox News. And they uh, got into the whole, you know, um, they showed a clip from Cynthia Nixon talking about socialism. And basically they're claiming that all Democrats are socialists now. They're trying to go and, again, make their own narrative about what's going on. And then they're going to do things like that, uh, misrepresent the actual reality uh, of, of what that record is. Uh, you know, they're going to try everything. They're going to go after Nancy Pelosi. They always do. Uh, but at the end of the day, people are way, way smarter than Republicans think they are. And they know who wrote a tax bill that's not going to benefit them. And they know who's uh, involved with all the corruption in Washington. And they know who's trying to take away their health insurance. So um, people are way, way smarter than Republican operatives. Amen. Mike in Central Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, yes. 
I was wondering if uh, Congressman Pocan would like to come down to Florida and uh, run for governor or Senate or anything like that, because he seems like the last uh, honest uh, congressman up there. Um, and I really enjoyed his show uh, on Moyers and Company about the United States of Alec. It really, really changed my views and uh, made me divest myself from conservatism and republicanism uh, as a whole. And so I'm wholeheartedly like liberal and definitely anti-conservative at this point, especially after watching the Bill Moyers show. So thank you, Mike. I just one. Yes, sir. Yeah, Mike. Thank you. That's uh, very kind of you. And, and you know, when I was a state legislator, Tom, as you know, I, uh, I joined Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, a conservative um, dating service between corporations and Republican uh, or conservative legislators uh, to match them up and, and create legislation that was good for the the corporate interest and uh, i joined it purposely to get the passwords to give to all the progressive groups so we could find out all their model legislation and uh, did a lot of work around that as state legislator and uh, you know those things they're so sophisticated they have so much money in their operations we have ideas we have the people but they seem to have the money and they can put behind ideas like that but i think we've done a lot to expose it actually mike i'm coming down next week to help a couple candidates uh, in florida um including uh, dave richardson who's running down in the Ileana ross latent seat uh in a primary because you guys have a late primary in orlando to help darren soto so i'll be down uh for a couple days uh next week but uh again appreciate your comments and I, i'm really glad that the alec uh issue helped make people realize how sophisticated their operation is to try to make people vote against their, their best interests. That is spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Maria in Evanston, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Um, thank you so much, Tom and Congress, uh, Congressman. I really appreciate um, all the work you do for us. Thank you. Um, so my um, question is and statement is uh, languaging, how I feel the Democrats need to language better uh, our messages, and one of them is people are so afraid of the word socialist and they don't really understand it. So I feel like renaming the FDR Democrats of what he stood for and how he helped our country move forward through the Depression. And also um, changing not midterm elections but congressional elections, people have to understand Congress the House is elected every two years, and how important that is to keep up uh, what we need to move forward. So call them presidential uh, elections and, and congressional elections as opposed yes. to presidential and midterms. Midterm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Maria, the second one I, I especially agree with. I, uh, I, I like that idea because, you know, midterm does sound a little different, and everyone has different primary dates across the country, and that can get confusing. So uh, I, I Take that uh, as a good point. Uh, on the other one, I, the term I use, honestly, I think that's most important is progressive. You know, I, and I'll admit Wisconsin has a progressive tradition going back to fighting Bob LaFollette, and that's where my heart has always been in following that. But people are for progress, and I think if we can just, uh, you know, keep that as the term we all use, I think we, you know, are in a good place uh, rather than each of us coming up with our own terms. But you're right. The Republicans do such a much better job of that. Congressman, we just have about a minute and a half before you need to you need to run. So I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are for us all and the the uh, you know this week and what we should be looking forward to and and doing and thinking about until we hear from you next. Sure. Well, the, the House is out of session, so um, you know one watch the groups out there like uh, Move On, DFA, Indivisible, and others that are working on things in case 
the president does something around the investigations that's bad around Rosenstein or Mueller, uh, be ready. Those groups are working very, very hard, public citizen, others on that. Uh, but also next week's another wave of elections. You've got Wisconsin on the 14th, Minnesota. My good friend Keith Ellison is up uh, for the attorney general, and there are going to be a number of congressional races and a governor's race there. Uh, a lot of elections still coming up. Let's just see if we can keep this momentum. And uh, if so, I, I think we've got some really great potential to turn things around in November. There's a, a lot of work to do and a lot of potential out there. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it as always. It is always a pleasure. Congressman Mark Pocan, you can uh, tweet him at pocan.house, excuse me, at rep uh, Mark Pocan, and you can uh, find his website at pocan.house.gov. Dominic in upstate New York. Hey, Don- Dominic, what's on your mind? Tom, well, thank you for taking the call. I've called many times to urge you to run. I'll leave it at that, but I have a question for you. Uh, my t- question was going to be to Congressman about us holding ourselves accountable as well as the, the GOP. I really believe that, that our government still has a lot of good people on both sides of the aisle. I'm frustrated. I don't understand certain stances that, that the progressive movement is taking. And I, I, here's my question. As it relates to the, uh, the proposal for um, IDs, voter IDs, on the surface it looks good. I believe in a uh, uh, um, public-funded elections, um, and I'm wondering why this can't be accomplished with public funds and, and, and make this a safer and um, more effective uh, uh, process so that we're not disenfranchising anybody. Yeah. What's Here's the deal, Dominic. In in every state in the union, it is at least a one-year crime, and in most states, it's a two- to five-year crime, to vote when you're not an eligible voter. Just like in every state in the union, shoplifting typically runs between one and five years as a penalty. What What the Republicans are suggesting, basically, is that every store in America... When people come into the store, they should show identification and they should, you know, uh, make a note of uh, and the store should have them sign some kind of form or make a, a note that they will not shoplift or that they really are who they say they are and all this kind of stuff. And it's absurd. People don't shoplift by and large. I mean, a few a few do and they get arrested from time to time. But people don't shoplift by and large because A, it's wrong. B, they don't want to go to jail. People don't vote when they're not eligible voters by and large, A, because they have no interest in doing it. Uh, You know, illegal voting has never been an issue. Um, Ballot stuffing has been an issue. Election fraud has been an issue. Rigging elections has been an issue. Those are all things that are done by the parties themselves or, or by, you know, corrupt county and state officials. But ID laws have nothing to do with any of that. And 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 also people don't don't vote illegally, as it were, because they don't want to go to jail. So the whole thing, in my opinion, of, of this whole ID thing is just a BS argument. And it's an attempt to make it harder for people who might not have ID to vote. People who don't have current picture ID, they may have a driver's license, but it's expired. They may have a passport, but it's expired, tend to be people on Social Security. And Republicans don't want them to vote because, oh, my God, they're going to vote for candidates who want to expand or strengthen Social Security and Medicare. Or so elderly people, number one, uh, and I guess I fall into that category over 65. Number two, they don't want young people to vote, uh, you know, college students in particular, because they tend to be progressive. And young people, if they haven't bought a car yet, you know, if they're still going to college, fresh out of high school, they, they may not have a driver's license yet, um, uh, particularly if they're low income young people. But broadly speaking, they don't want young people to vote and they don't want poor people to vote. 
uh, in particular poor people of color, but broadly speaking, they don't want poor people to vote. And a lot of poor people take public transportation. They haven't, you know, they, they live in cities. Uh, they don't want urban dwellers, uh, people who live in cities to vote because they tend to be more progressive. And so these are the people who typically don't have ID. These ID laws have nothing to do with clean elections, nothing. There was never a problem of people illegally voting before, and nobody's been able to demonstrate that there is one now. Chris Kobach's so-called you know, voter commission that he ran out of the White House has now been exposed to be a complete fraud. You know, Nationwide, you might have 30 or 40 or 50 people a year who are voting when they don't have, when they're not eligible to vote. And almost all of them, I mean, you have the occasional actual fraud. There have been three of them that I know of in the last five years or six years. All of those were people who were not U.S. citizens and voted Republican. They were all Europeans who came to the United States, had been living here for years and years and voted Republican. But, you know, it's just, and, and, the, and the rest of the people who are voting, quote, illegally are people who have, you know, uh, felony convictions and didn't realize that they could no longer vote in their state. And they were still on the voting rolls. So, and, and these are meaningless numbers. I mean, 50 people a year? Really? That's not going to swing an election. What will swing an election, though, is if you can prevent 50,000 people a year from voting or 500,000 people a year from voting, which are actual real numbers because they don't have voter ID, uh, because they don't have ID, period, um, or at least the kinds of ID that the states are requiring, concealed weapons permit in Texas, driver's license in Wisconsin, things like that. This is, this is just totally bizarre. This, this is from Portland, right, Nate? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The, let me just set this up. Um, back in, I believe it was 1973, the, uh, but it was in that, in that era, in any case, whether it began then or ended then, the country of Chile, down in South America, uh, the government was flipped by virtue of a military coup. Uh, General Augusto Pinochet was a member of the, one of the top guys in the military. Uh, they overthrew the democratically elected president. And uh, Pinochet made himself president and immediately reached out to Milton Friedman of the Chicago School of Economics and his uh, merry band of libertarian uh, economic pranksters. Uh, the same people, by the way, who helped, uh, you know, Russia become a, uh, uh, you know, a modern state after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, but unfortunately, they did the same thing or something very similar with Pinochet. I, I don't think Russia went this far. Russia actually has a national health care system and still has Social Security. But Pinochet just ripped it all apart uh, with the help of the Chicago boys. Uh, they privatized Social They privatized everything in Chile. And a lot of people came out and protested. I mean, a lot of people came out and protested. Pinochet was eventually overthrown, and uh, Chile is back to being a democratic republic. But uh, during that period of time, the protesters... Some 3,000 of them were taken out in helicopters and pushed out to, to fall to their deaths. This was one of Pinochet's favorite ways of killing people. They, in one of the major stadiums in uh, Chile, in uh, uh, whatever the major city was, um, people were lined up and executed like, like the Nazis did during, you know, before World War II, like the Nazis did you know, in the death camps, um, in, uh, uh, in, at least in the work camps, like in Dachau. And... So it's particularly bizarre that here in Portland, when, when the right showed up to, to uh, you know, strut their stuff and talk about how wonderful white supremacy is and all that, that a number of them were chanting and wearing T-shirts about how you know, Pinochet was actually a good guy and it's time to make lefties afraid of helicopters again. And uh, you know, they showed up to, uh, to talk about this and to, and to chant about it. Here's the clip. Pinochet! 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 
Right. This is bizarre. You know, we're protesting because we want to destroy and privatize Social Security. We want to privatize and destroy Medicare and Medicaid. We like Pinochet did. I'm I'm speechless. And and we got, you know, right wing programming in this city in in support. It just it just blows my mind. Anyhow, I wanted to go through a a few other things here that uh, in the news today, the price of insulin has been skyrocketing. Uh, This is from the uh, KMOV, a television station in Kansas City uh, and KCTV also in Kansas City. And this is by the Meredith Digital staff, the the Meredith television uh, group that owns these TV stations. Uh, So I'll just, you know, quote from it. Uh, the price of insulin has skyrocketed. They're quoting Hattie Saltzman, a 22-year-old uh, who is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. This is the childhood diabetes. Uh, it's not the result of, you know, bad lifestyle choice, choices or whatever that sometimes uh, happens with type 2 diabetes. Um, and she, uh, what she said is in this, in this interview, this is not something that's negotiable. It's not something I'm using for fun. It's not something I can choose whether or not to use. I have to use it. It's imperative to my life. If I don't have it, I die I, and, and I don't have it. And she said uh, what's, what's happening is her copay uh, this last year just jumped to $550 for her insulin. Now, again, this is not a problem that people in Canada have because in Canada, the drugs are free. It's all covered by Medicare in Canada, by Canadian Medicare. But here in the United States, no, not the case. She said, I know some people have worse insurance coverage than I did. They might be spending $900 and we have to pay or die. She, she was, you know, she a low-income person. She was rationing her insulin. And she says, I was skipping doses, just enough to know, I, just enough to where I knew I would be alive, but not living the very best life. And doing this, her blood sugar level one day hit 650. That's six times the normal level. She said, I couldn't breathe. My heart is racing. I had a headache. I had to go to the ER. It was one of the worst days of my life. Uh, but that's not the worst of the story. A member of her church died and left a bunch of insulin and, and her, this member of the church's family donated the insulin from the person who died to her. So she says, so I got five bottles of insulin, insulin, which would last me more than through the end of the year. I can't describe how it feels to pick up an insulin vial. It has somebody else's name on it when you know that person is no longer around. Another person in her church, Avery Peterson, he's 12 years old. He has childhood diabetes. His copay is $600 a month. And this is producing Facebook pages and GoFundMe pages. They note in the, the television station in, um, in uh, Kansas City, notes that insulin has been around for almost 100 years. You can't get more generic than insulin. And uh, there, there's a bunch of people protesting at Eli Lilly. And then the, the final paragraph in this article from this TV station, Alex Smith from Minnesota had insurance, but the deductible was $7,600. His monthly rate for insulin was $1,300. He tried to ration his insulin and stretch his supply. He was found dead in his apartment three days before his next paycheck. His mother is now an activist fighting for reasonably priced insulin. How about fighting for health care for all? And, you know, having a Medicare system like Canada, Medicare for all, and it covers everything, including drugs. 
It's just, this is just terrible. I mean, just breathtakingly terrible. Speaking of health issues, my father, as you may remember, died of mesothelioma, which is a lung cancer or a cancer of the lining of the lungs that's caused by ex exposure to asbestos. My dad, uh, when my mom got pregnant with me, uh, he dropped out of college. He was on the GI Bill in his, uh, uh, and it was back in 1950, 51. Dropped out of college and got a job at the Alcoa uh, Steel Mill in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the steel would come out uh, and go over these rollers, red hot steel, and the, 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 the delivery, the chute that the steel came out of was all lined with asbestos. And so the air was just a continuous cloud of asbestos fiber. And my dad and others working with him were told, hey, no, nothing to worry about. It's, it's all good. We've been using asbestos for 100 years. What they failed to tell him was back in the 1930s, the asbestos industry learned for a fact that asbestos causes mesothelioma. So, you know, Alcoa and the as asbestos industry basically killed my father. And, uh, you know, we finally figured that out, right? Uh, you know, that, that asbestos does this. I mean, we've, we've, like I said, the asbestos industry figured it out in, 19, in the 1930s. They hid that from us until apparently the 1970s or 80s. And then, you know, a lot of people getting mesothelioma, particularly from the World War II era, uh, people working on the ships, the, the, the military ships that were made, that the, all their piping was lined with asbestos, were just showing up in droves uh, getting a mesothelioma. And so we got it banned. Well, Donald Trump has said in the past that this whole connection between mesothelioma and asbestos is a scam, a racket put together. This is from Snopes, uh, literally Snopes, right? Debunk, debunk myths. They're saying this is true. President Trump has spoken on the topic of asbestos prior to taking office. In his 1997 book, The Art of the Comeback, he argued that the chemical is actually safe and suggested that the link to health problems was manufactured by, a, by the mob-connected companies that perform asbestos removals from buildings. This is a quote from Donald Trump. I believe that the movement against asbestos was led by the mob because it was often mob-related companies that would do the asbestos removal. Great pressure was put on politicians, and as usual, the politicians relented. Well, now Donald Trump is president, and guess what? On the 1st of June, and I don't know how this slid by me, but this was two months ago, the EPA, Office of Pollution Prevention and Toxics, announced a significant new, uh, a proposed significant new use rule for asbestos. And uh, so they're going to allow asbestos... I mean, this is, you know, Snopes is fact-checking this claim. The Environmental Protection will, Agency will allow new asbestos products to enter the market. Uh, rating, yeah, mostly true. It's actually happening. This is just mind-boggling. Uh, the tweet of the day, our tweet of the day goes to Millie Weaver. Millie Weaver is a, uh, uh, a conservative. Uh, she works uh, at Alex Jones's place, InfoWars, or at least says she's, her profile says she's a reporter for InfoWars. Wars. And she tweeted this yesterday. Dear libtards who think Facebook is a privately owned business. See, this is all about whether a private business, you know, the Fifth Amendment protects you from, or excuse me, the First Amendment gives you the right of free speech and protects you from the government inhibiting your right of free speech. But it doesn't protect private companies from inhibiting your right of free speech. So Facebook can censor you for any old damn reason they want, so Twitter, whatever. Um, but she's asserting that that's not the case. Dear libtards who think Facebook is a privately owned business, there's a thing called fact-checking. 
Facebook is a public business that's publicly traded. Using that argument to justify banning Alex Jones doesn't work. Right, now public means owned by the government. Publicly traded means you can buy and sell their stock, but it's still a private company. This is what happens when you stop teaching civics in elementary school and high school. We really need to get a civics curriculum back in the United States. This is, this is just so sad, and I'm, I'm so concerned for Millie. I hope that you know, she can pick up a book on civics someplace. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and your and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. It's the place where smart people get their news, the Tom Hartman program. Let's check in with uh, Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen's new book, Loving What You Do. Hey, Ellen, what's up in the world? Well, there's a lot going on, of course, with this president. It's never a dull moment, but of course, it's also the primaries. So that's very interesting. Chris Collins, who is a Republican congressman from 2013 from the 27th District of New York City, I'm sorry, New York State. Uh, and that is actually, it's the Niagara area, and it goes all the way to almost where I often am, which is Lilydale, New York, Hamburg, New York, it goes to. And he has now been indicted. Uh, he has been indicted for insider trading. Now, it's very interesting that he used to be in the same law firm as Giuliani, uh, uh -oh. Greenberg Towering, yes. And uh, he was charged with basically insider training on a group called Innate Immune Therapeutics. Uh, they said that they had a way of, of dealing with multiple sclerosis. Now, Louise Slaughter, before she died, and she was a biochemist, uh, she started the Stock Act, which meant that people could not use information that they got as members of Congress uh, to somehow in enrich themselves. 
And he told his son, who then told his father-in-law. I mean, this just went on and on. And he did turn himself into the police, uh, to the to the court today. And we don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah, I'm seeing a real interesting piece over at Raw's story that, uh, that quotes Louise Slaughter on that. Um, but also points out Chris Collins is worth $66 million, and apparently some of that money he got uh, doing this kind of thing, that Tom Price uh, was uh, offered innate stock by Collins, that Representative John Culbertson of Texas, Republican from Texas, said he heard about innate from media reports, but the Houston Chronicle noted uh, that you know it's not clear that there were any uh, media reports. He might have gotten the information from Collins. Representative Mike Conaway of Texas, another lawmaker who bought large shares in in innate. Uh, Representative Doug Lamborn, Republican from Colorado. Uh, well, what he would do is he would tell these people to uh, buy into their company. Yeah. Uh, rep- company. Yeah, Representative Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma and Representative Billy Long of Missouri. All all six of these people are Republicans who are uh, tight with Chris Collins, and they're all like big buyers of this particular stock. Uh, it's pretty bizarre stuff. Uh, what else is going on in the world, Ella? Okay, so Ohio's 12th district, as you know, I am from the great state of Ohio, and this used to be Kasich's district. So uh, what happened is the president came out and supported Balderson and uh, John Kasich, who, of course, is running for president and is the governor, was not very happy that the president came. Uh, there is now at this point, the Democrats name is O'Connor. There's seven one thousand seven hundred fifty votes, approximately, give or take one or two, uh, separating the two of them. And so what's very interesting is that there are three thousand three hundred provisional ballots. And so although Donald Trump called the election and Balderson called the election, the press has not called the fake news press Mm. (laughs) has not called the election. And uh, it's very interesting. And they said it may be weeks before those provisional ballots are counted. Right, because they have to contact each one of those people and say, prove that you're actually an eligible voter, because it looks like the secretary of state took your name off the rolls. We were just talking to Tom Perez about that. Right, for sure. Okay, so now also um, the Manafort trial is still going on today, mm-hmm. and Rick Gates is now uh, testifying for his second day. The most draw-dropping uh, testimony that he gave is that he said it's possible that he took money from the inaugural. Well, it's not possible. You either did or you didn't. Who's he? You probably know it. Is the he Rick Gates or the he uh, the Paul he Manafort? Rick Gates. The he is Rick Gates. So it's Rick, the Manafort Rick, trial. Rick Gates is saying that he might have stolen money from the inaugural committee, but he but he can't prove it. Well, he doesn't remember. Oh my! He's not an old bat like me, you know. So his memories, I'm sure. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. It's great talking with you. Tom Harmon here with you. The uh, website worstforwomen.com has just released their list of the worst candidates for women in the United States. It includes Representative Don Bacon, Representative Dave Bratt, Representative Ted Budd, Senator Ted Cruz, Representative Ron DeSantis, Representative Glenn Grothman, he's a man, Representative Karen Handel, a woman, Senator Dean Heller, Representative Jim Jordan, Representative Steve King, Jason Lewis, and Representative Kevin McCarthy. The Worst for Women, over at worstforwomen.com. On the line with us is the chairman of the DNC. Democrats.org is the website. You can tweet him at Tom Perez. Secretary Perez, welcome back to the program. 
Always great to be with you and your listeners. Calling you from the heart of Pennsylvania. We're out stumping for Tom Wolf and John Fetterman and a bunch of Democrats up and down the ticket. That is great. It's amazing that a seat that a Republican won by over 30 points four years ago was a jump ball. This should have been a layup, and it was a jump ball. And it shows that Democrats can win everywhere. And we're going to have a rematch in 90 days when we have much broader turnout, when we've got people like Sherrod Brown on the ticket, and when we are going to clearly have health care on the ticket in Ohio. Because the differences between the Republicans, whether it's DeWine for governor or whether it's this Balderson guy in this seat, and our Democrats, whether it's Danny O'Connor or Rich Cordray, who's running for governor, couldn't be more stark. We think that we need to protect our health care. We think that if you have a pre-existing condition, you ought to be able to still get access to health insurance. And so I was heartened by this. And as you know, there's almost 70 seats in play that are more competitive than the seat we saw in Ohio 12. And one of the things that I think is an undertold part of the Ohio 12 story, which I've seen in Ohio 12 and elsewhere, is the fact that there was such a unity of purpose among the Democratic side. Uh, There were seven people who ran on the Democratic primary, the indivisible chapter there, which is really, really incredible. They supported one candidate. When Danny O'Connor won, they immediately pivoted to Danny. The indivisibles were there, swing left. The DNC, the DCCC, the Ohio party is spectacular. And I see this unity everywhere across this country, and that's what gives me optimism. If I'm the Republican Party and I still have a jump ball race in a district that beat red, gerrymandered, I'm in trouble. Yeah. The Democratic Party rolled out this better deal. I like real deal, but it's there. And I'm curious, the top three lines, most Democrats who are running around the country, and particularly, you know, we've got this election in November and then the presidential election in two years and three months. What, in your opinion, as the chair of the Democratic Party, what should be or what will be the top three messages, you know, just sort of like the Republicans run on guns, gays, and gods, or they had, you know, in the past, but what is the Democratic message? We're fighting for your future. We're fighting for your jobs. We're fighting for your health care. And frankly, we're fighting for our democracy uh, because this is the election of a lifetime. It's not only about access to health care. It's not only about good jobs that pay a decent wage. Uh, this is about our democracy as we know it. And, and that's what we continue to fight for. And, and the reason I think we're winning races is because we've been focusing on the issues that people care about. In, in Ohio, uh, the 12th Congressional District, it was health care. It was um, preserving Medicare and Social Security. Uh, throughout the country, uh, we see that uh, people are worried because, you know what, they may have gotten a dollar more in their paycheck. But the cost of gasoline went up 80 cents, their cost of prescription drugs went up three bucks, and their cost of health insurance went up five bucks. So they're falling behind. And Democrats are fighting for prosperity for everyone, not just a few at the top. How clear was that contrast in Ohio? You know, I'm not in the district, so I haven't seen the ads, but I read that Danny O'Connor? Yes was outspent something like by three or four hundred percent, mostly by outside uh, groups from outside the state 
and that their sales pitch was, oh, he wants to join Nancy Pelosi in making uh, the borders go away or something. I mean, the only people who are in favor of not having clear borders are libertarians, actually, you know, Rand Paul and his friends. Um, so, but, you know, that, that was their sales pitch. How effective were the Democrats in pushing back on this? I mean, obviously, we came from a 30-point swing toward a Republican four years ago to dead heat right now. Your thoughts on that? What I was so impressed by was the ground presence. I'm a big believer in ground games and, and getting out there, talking to people, building relationships. And that's exactly what happened with that partnership of the union movement and indivisibles, the, the DCCC, the DNC, Swing Left, the candidates' campaign. That's what we were doing. And, and again, when you have to spend $5 million, as the other side did, on a race that should be in the bag from day one because you've gerrymandered the bejesus out of the district. This is remarkable. And yeah. and the importance of voting. And we still don't have a confirmed winner because it was so close. Yeah. And so people can really make a difference getting out there and voting. And that's why uh, I'm here in Pennsylvania because, you know, we have an opportunity here to not only reelect Tom Wolf and reelect Bob Casey, but uh, Pennsylvania is ground zero for taking over the U.S. House. And we've invested heavily in Pennsylvania, just as we did in Ohio. We're investing not only in these house races, but then some of these state house races. Because remember, this is a 12-year election. These governors who are going to win this year are going to control redistricting. That's why we fought so hard uh, for Ralph Northam and Phil Murphy last year. And that's why I'm so heartened. Uh, we've invested in Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio. These are three states where I think we can elect Democrats and put them in the governor's seat and put them in the driver's seat on redistricting. Stacey Abrams has a spectacular opportunity uh, to make history in Georgia as the first African-American woman elected governor. Uh, we have opportunities in uh, Arizona. We have opportunities in um, South Dakota, where a guy named Billy Sutton is uh, running a spirited campaign. Best candidate for governor. Uh, probably since the mid-70s in South Dakota, and we're investing there because we believe that when we invest in all 50 states, uh, we can win. Mm -hmm. Secretary Perez, the number of people who uh, had to cast provisional ballots is between three and 800 percent larger than the mm -hmm. margin that's still in dispute right now between Democrat and Republican in uh, Ohio's 12th district, uh, Danny O'Connor's race. And the uh, Supreme Court just gave Ohio carte blanche to purge the voting rolls. And uh, we just had Greg Palestine. He said the vast majority of those appear to have come out of this one county. I believe it's Franklin County. that's majority Democratic County. Is the Democratic Party doing anything to slow down the rate at which the states that are under Republican control are purging people from the voting rolls? Mm -hmm. We saw this hugely in the 2000 election down in Florida. If Jeb Bush and, and Catherine Harris hadn't purged 80,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls just before that election, it's doubtful that George Bush would have gotten his 500-vote victory. Well, uh, as someone who had the privilege of uh, heading up the Civil Rights Division, uh, this is a question near and dear to my heart. Uh, I sued Florida for an unlawful voter purge. The Secretary of State here in Ohio, Husted, you know, wrote the book on voter suppression. Unfortunately, uh, the book was sanctioned uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court. Section 8 of the Motor Voter Law is the provision that governs the maintenance of lists. And it has very, very specific provisions about 
unlawful voter purges in the run-up to the election. And one of the infrastructure items that we're building and have built at the DNC is that voter protection infrastructure. And you can bet your bottom dollar here in Ohio and in other states across the country, this is exactly what we are on the lookout for, reminding people in elections bureaus that you now, the, the Section 8 of the Motor Voter Law has very specific provisions that prevent purges in the run-up to the election. We will be watchdogs. We will hold people accountable. Good on every you. vote must count. Amen. Chairman of the Democratic National Party, or National Committee with the Democratic Party, Tom Perez, uh, former U.S. Secretary of Labor. Secretary, thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure. Have great, a great day. Great talking with you. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a fascinating day. I'm sure there's another one up for us tomorrow, so please join us, same place, same bat channel. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It takes all of us, and that includes you. And there's a lot of great things that you can do to help advance democracy, a lot of great groups to join, and of course, get inside the Democratic Party. We need to make this party a real voice for the people, like it largely is. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.